Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Good morning, everybody. We are in the middle, as Jake has said, in a series called Why We Gather. Um, And one of the reasons why we gather as a church is to take communion together. Now, in Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 42, it lists four things that the church from the very beginning really emphasizes. It says they devoted themselves to four things, and those four things are the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is communion, and prayer. Now, of those four things, no doubt communion is the strangest um, and the least familiar. So if you've been to any sort of church, you'll know that, there, that someone comes up here and talks, right? So that's teaching, and, and we're familiar with teaching. And kids go to, to uh, Vessel Kids, and there's teaching there. And fellowship, we're all familiar with the relationships we have. And those that have been around for a while, you make friends here, and we meet in small groups outside of Sunday service, and there's fellowship. And then the last one is prayer, and everyone can, it's sort of, it, it won't take you long to know that when you're in a Christian space, people will pray. You pray before you eat, you pray at the beginning, in the service. You pray at the end of the service. People up here will pray in the middle of songs. But then the breaking of bread, communion, it's, it's, a, it's a little strange. Um, and it feels a little bit weird. And my hope is that it's, it, it, over the course of this morning, it will, will, will start the journey of being able to change from something that is unusual, um, very traditional and unusual, to something that will start to become a delight over the coming weeks as we take communion together. We're going to start doing this every number of weeks uh, for, uh, as a new church. Now, um, uh, communion is a meal. Uh, it's, it, it, and, uh, and if you've been any sort of any family meals, you know that there's a lot of traditional meals that people have in families, and there's traditional cuisine and foods that certain families have. And often when you, when you encounter a family tradition or family meal, then it can be unusual at first. But then over time, it's those traditional family meals that become really treasured. Whether that's a simple thing as some people do Taco Tuesdays, and you eat tacos every Tuesday, um, or something like that. And, and of course, we, we're probably familiar in, in America, in, in, it's a Western world, maybe not all the Western world, at least in North America. There's one meal that's almost the exact same meal that everybody eats on that day every year, right? Which one is that? Thanksgiving, right? right? So, they're, so they're traditional meals. And this is a tradition. It's something that happens over and over again. And as you first encounter it, it's strange. But over time, it can be invested in deep meaning. Uh, now, uh, Tracy and I have a, a bicultural marriage. We actually entered into different cuisines, uh, kinds of food that you eat from, from where you came from. I grew up with Chinese food most of the time in my home. And so my encounter with Western, white Western food, was, it was a journey. It was, it was strange at first. My only exposure was what they served in the cafeteria at the public schools. And so I thought that's sort of what, you know, all you people eat, you know. So, um, and then, uh, you know, when I went to college, I distinctly remember being invited to the home of one of the campus ministers, and, 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 uh, and there's being served a green bean casserole. Anybody know what that is? Green bean casserole. So it's usually frozen green beans. It can be regular cut or French cut, uh, cream of mushroom soup, and then the canned fried onions on top, right? So when I saw that, I had no idea what that was. Like I said, what, 
I, I didn't even recognize the ingredients because I hadn't been exposed to the canned fried onions before, which is sort of what covers the top. So I said, I, you know, so I, I would eat it, but it was, it was very strange. And then especially when someone told me like, that's green beans. I was like, oh, really? That's green beans. Like that, that's a vegetable in there somewhere, you know? And, uh, <laughs> Um, and, uh, and over time, you know, and especially once I, I uh, um, married uh, Tracy or we got to know each other, so both Tracy and her, her mom are quite accomplished cooks. And then you got, I got to be exposed to, to a broader world. I, I, I learned that the, the kind of food that you eat in public school cafeterias, there's a better version of most of those things. Um, and and there, there are things that, it, it, and what was first unfamiliar became a source of great delight. I remember I was having a conversation with a Latina friend of mine, and she's also married to a white person. And then uh, we, we just had this, it was just this, this moment of connection where she just said, yeah, white people and their butter. And I was like, yes! <laughs> you know, like, it was, a, it was an epiphany for me. I, I grew up, well, we had butter in our house. There was like one stick of butter that would sit in the refrigerator, the little butter thing, and it would just stay there because you didn't quite know what to do with it. You just have some butter, and it would just get drier and harder, you know, over the course of the year. And then, you, you know, like, I, I seen from the TV that it's supposed to go on toast, and you take a little piece of this dry, hard butter, you try and scrape it across the toast, and you're like, I'm not seeing it. <laughs> but then over time, as I've gotten to know, you know, we've learned, Tracy and I like to cook together, you realize the possibilities of butter. You're like, you can, like any time you have oil, you can substitute butter. You can start stuff with butter. You can put, you can finish stuff with butter. Any kind of sauce, you can put butter on it. Vegetables, grains, breads, any kind of starch, even meat, you can, you know, put it on a sauce and put it on butter. Like, and as I discovered this, our butter consumption started to go up in our house. I was like, put butter on this. I'm going to put butter on this. This stuff is amazing. So that's the kind of journey that I hope that we will be on with communion over the course uh, of the next number of weeks. It'll come back every few weeks. Um, but let me, so let me pray for us. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture, and, and then we're going to uh, have the, our first communion together, I believe, uh, as a Vessel Collective Church. Let me pray for us. God, you have invited us to the fullness of what you uh, have offered us, and that part of that is communion, the thing that you offer to your church. And as we look at your scriptures in the next few minutes, we ask that you would do uh, an amazing work in us, um, that you would do something in our hearts so that the significance of communion would be something that would connect us to you. God, we know that more than anything else this morning, we need you um, and ask that as we open your word together, we spend time not just hearing teaching, but actually practicing and celebrating the breaking of bread, that that would be an encouragement to us, that it would give us, leave us wanting more in the coming weeks. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, the passage we're going to look at today uh, is John chapter 6. If anybody uh, needs a Bible, we have some available for you if you'd like to look. We'll also have the passage on the screen. Um, thank you very much, Lindsay, for chasing this down for me. Um, John chapter 6 is actually not about communion. Jesus is, is, is actually teaching John chapter 6, and it is before communion existed, so it's not about communion. But I'm equally convinced that John, when he included this story in the gospel of John, included it in part because of what we can learn about communion. You get it? It's like when Jesus first, when this first happened, communion didn't exist, and so Jesus wasn't talking about communion. But when John later on 
put this in his story, in his book, in the story about Jesus. That was after communion uh, existed. And I'm convinced that John put this story in, in part to help us understand about communion. So if you'll follow with me, uh, John chapter 6 actually begins with one of the most memorable family meals of all time. And it was when Jesus miraculously fed more than 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread and some fish. He fed them all, fed them full, and then he and his disciples just disappeared. They, they went somewhere else really quickly. It's like if someone ran in here and like threw out free Whataburger coupons, like, hey, and then just disappeared. And everyone would be looking around saying, this is great. Who was the Whataburger guy? And where did he get these? And that's where people were. So we are beginning in John chapter 6, verse 24, with all these people that are wondering where Jesus was. So once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Jesus discerns a problem. Now, these people are coming up, sort of playing it off. They're like, what's up? And Jesus, he understands what's going on. Jesus says, you're looking, you're looking for me, but you're not looking for me because you saw a sign. You're looking for me because you liked the food. Like he, and, and he just calls them out on it. Now, in John, the word sign is a very important word. We're going to spend all fall in John, and there's some words you should get used to seeing, and one of them is sign. And what a sign does is it tells you where something else is, right? A sign points to something. It says, like, you know, stop sign, or it says, like, here's the school. Um, so that's, that's what a sign is. And so what Jesus said is that, like, the, the, the bread, the, the multiplication of bread, all that miraculous stuff I did for you, that was a sign. It was supposed to sort of, a sign actually tells you about something else, right? A sign exists that says, hey, there's something over here. And Jesus said, you didn't know that it was a sign. You thought it was all about bread. Like, the sign was meant to, to to tell you something about something else. And in John, wherever a sign comes up, it's meant to say, this happened to tell you another truth, to give you a deeper truth. Um, and, so, and so he tells them, don't, don't work for food that spoils. Don't work for food like that's just physical bread where you just ate that bread and it, it can just be bad the next day, but work for food that it endures to eternal life. He's calling them out because they just saw the sign and they didn't see the truth to which the sign was pointing. So um, here's a sign. Uh, uh, so, so let's say my, my, uh, my family, it would be like as if my family and I who moved to Round Rock um, five years ago. So imagine if we drove all the way from the East Coast and we came over and we saw a sign that said, welcome to Round Rock. And we pulled our, our car over to the side of the road and got up and gathered around the sign and said, well, here we are right? But that's not, you're not just looking for the sign, right? The sign is there to tell you that there's a city here. There's a city of Round Rock, and that's really where you're going. And Jesus told them, there's a deeper truth here than the bread. You just want the bread. I'm going to, I want you to get the deeper truth. So then they asked Jesus, the next thing that happened is, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So Jesus tells them, there's a deeper truth. There's a better bread than the bread that I gave you miraculously a couple days ago. And they said, what do I need to do to get it? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, 
to believe in the one he has sent. It's like, you still don't quite get it. It's not even something that you do. You don't do something to get this better bread. You believe in me. Again, another really important word in the whole Bible and in the Gospel of John, believe, which is not something that you do. And it also means more than just, I believe in God. Like, I believe that God exists. I believe in the tooth fairy or something like that. It's, it's actually to put your trust in with your whole life, to trust with your whole life. And Jesus says, it's not about what you do. You can't do something to get the bread that God offers. What you need to do is to put your whole trust in the one that he has sent. Okay, so the people go on. This is what they say. And you can start to see that the people sort of have a one-track mind. So they said to him, what then do you do for a sign that we may see and believe in you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So, so let me unpack this for you. So what's happened is Jesus says, it's not about physical bread. You need to work for the bread that God gives you, and that means to believe in the one he's sent. And then they said, uh, this is sort of what they said, basically. They said, so uh, if we're going to believe in you, what can you do to sort of give us confidence? What additional sign can you do? Uh, like maybe some more bread? Right? So they're, they're still going after bread. They actually, said, they actually said, in the Bible, you know, in the old days, you know, when Moses was around, God gave the miraculous bread. So how about some more of that miraculous bread? <laughs> then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it's not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said, Lord, always give us this bread. They still don't get it. Then Jesus said to them, he finally spells it out. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. The deeper truth that that miracle was about, it wasn't just about giving you something really good to eat or an unlimited uh, food supply. It was about me. The sign was a deeper truth about something about me is like bread. We won't be able to follow this, but this back and forth just keeps going between Jesus and these guys. It's like back and forth and back and forth. They're pushing back on him. He answers back to them. And finally, he spells it out a number of verses later. And this is how he says it. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So, the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Jesus finally says, I'm going to spell out the truth. Like, I keep trying to get you to see it, and you won't see it, so I'm just going to spell out the deeper truth that I've been pointing to, that all these things are signs of. And the deeper truth is that whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So that's sort of shocking, isn't it? Like, that's sort of, that's weird. It's sort of gross to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. But Jesus said, like, th the best way for me to capture this truth is to say that. Even though it sounds gross, 
And it's actually grosser back then for them, for Jewish people who followed very, uh, very strict kosher laws. It's even grosser for them probably than it is for us to talk about eating a person's flesh and drinking their blood. Really gross. And Jesus said, even though it's so gross, this is the best way for me to explain this deeper truth is this sort of gross idea, maybe, of you eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And the the deeper truth that the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This illustration is a shocking illustration. This illustration is a strange illustration. And yet, Jesus liked that illustration so much that, and, and Jesus had lots of great illustrations, But of all of his great illustrations, Jesus chose this illustration to be a permanent one. Um, And he did that a number of uh, years later um, at the end of his life, where right before Jesus uh, was betrayed and was arrested and was crucified, he had a meal with his followers. And it says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There's something about that strange statement of eat my body, drink my blood, that tells us a deeper truth. It describes our relationship with Jesus, and there's lots of ways to describe our relationship with Jesus. But Jesus thought this illustration describes our relationship with him so well that I want you to keep on using this same illustration forever. And since then, virtually all Christians all over the world of all time, regardless of what language they speak, what style of worship they have, whether it's very formal, very informal, regardless of what kind of food they normally, they they normally in in that culture, have some version of this sort of illustration. There's some, there's some services that we wouldn't even recognize uh, compared to the way that we worship. And yet in those same churches, hundreds of years ago or thousands of miles away, we'll still do some version of this because Jesus believed that this told us something about how, what our relationship with Jesus. And, and it had so much potential to explain that, that he made this illustration permanent. So we are going to take communion in just a few minutes. Um, and it, as, as a way of, of transitioning for that, I'd like for just to take a few minutes to talk about why this is such a good illustration. What it tells us about the relationship with Jesus. And it'll just be a few things. You, I could actually go on forever with different ways. This tells us about the relationship with Jesus. But I just want to name a few. While beginning, uh, while beginning by saying it is a strange illustration. It's strange. Like if, if you come up and someone uh, offers you a piece of bread and says, this is the body of Christ. And you go, like that's sort of weird, right? This is the body of Christ. Someone just popped it in your mouth. It is weird. It was weird back then. And it actually was weird at the very beginning of the church where the church would practice communion. The Roman people around it thought like, what are they doing in there? They're going back there talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. Like what kind of like cannibals are these people? They thought they were really, really strange. And so it is strange. But it is also an amazing illustration of what our relationship with Jesus is like. And I'll just give three reasons why today. First reason why it is a great illustration is because you need to eat and drink in order to survive, in order to live. It's the connection between eating and drinking and life. 
you know, we all know that if you don't eat and if you don't drink, you will die. You will waste away and you will die. You need it to live. And actually, the better the stuff that you eat and drink, the more healthy you are and the worse stuff, the, the worse off you are, right? I, I don't know if they still use the phrase, but when I was growing up, they had a phrase about nutrition saying you are what you eat, right? So if you eat like, you know, and it's, it's meant to tell you like if you eat like nice vegetables, then you'll be nice and strong and healthy. But if you just eat like, you know, like junk food, potato chips and everything, then you won't be very healthy, right? So there's a way in which good food will, make, will give you life, and bad food will make you less healthy, and no food will make you dead. <laughs> so, so, so uh, communion, for, by saying our relationship with Jesus is like eating and drinking, is, is to tell us the way that Jesus is life. And so um, you're going to come up, you're going to have an opportunity to come up and take communion, and somebody is going to show you a piece of bread and say, this is the body of Christ. And what they are saying when they say this is the body of Christ is to say, you need Jesus in order to live. That, that if you take Jesus, Jesus will give life to your body. When, when someone has, offers you the cup of, uh, and, and says, this is the blood of Christ, it's saying that Jesus, the, Jesus died to give you life. It's the death of Christ that allows you to live. And so, and then when you come and take it, when you, when you take the bread and someone says, this is the body of Christ and you eat it, what you are saying is, if I don't have Jesus, I will die. When you take the cup, you are saying, without the death of Christ, I will wither away and I will die. And that's what that means when we say, this is the body of Christ and we take it and eat. When we say, this is the blood of Christ and we take it and drink. The connection between eating and drinking and life. Without Jesus, you will die. The second thing, uh, reason why this is a great illustration of our relationship with Jesus, is the relationship between eating and drinking and pleasure. Eating and drinking and pleasure. Now I'm going to sit on this one for a little bit because God designed food not just to keep us alive, but to be enjoyable. We are supposed to enjoy eating and drinking. Um, so, so actually, it's very appropriate that uh, we're actually having a, a pizza party afterwards. In the, in the early church, they actually did communion in, in actually in conjunction with like a big party. Like they would take communion and then they just start eating. So getting pizza afterwards is perfect. As a matter of fact, they did this so much that in one of the letters, Paul had to write to them and say, okay, you guys are getting a little crazy there. Like, people are, like, overeating and getting drunk, especially the rich people who could afford more food. He was like, this party is getting a little out of hand. You've got to pull it back a little bit. When, they, when people took communion, it was, it was part of a celebration. It was part of enjoying food. And so that's actually one re reason that um, the way that most of us take communion, it doesn't capture that really well. Because practically speaking, you can, um, you can only give people a little tiny bit, right, of uh, of, of, of a bit of bread or a bit of cracker and a little tiny bit of juice. And there's a way that that doesn't quite capture what's meant to be evoked by communion. It's, it's, meant, to be, it's, it's meant to be like not like a tic-tac, you know, but it's meant to be like an a all-you-can-eat buffet. It's meant to, to represent delicious food, ample food, all the food you can eat. Um, maybe as a picture of that, I'll show you... Um, I'm going to show you something. Uh, you know, candy bars are being made in all kinds of different sizes these days, right? You know, you can get them in all kinds of sizes. And then they have a size of candy bar that they call fun size, right? You know what I'm talking about, fun size? And it usually looks sort of like this. Now, somebody tell me, what's fun about that? 
Nothing fun about that. Now, um, well, that's fun size. I didn't think it would slow me down this much. So when you come forward later on and someone says, this is the body of Christ, what we're saying is, Jesus is the best. Jesus is enough for you. You If you feast on Jesus, you will be full and and satisfied and you won't want anything else. And when, you hear, and when you hear someone say, this is the blood of Christ, it is says, it's saying, the death of Christ, the blood of Christ is more than enough for you. All of your shame, all of your sin, all of your failures, anything that you think will stand between you and God, it is more than enough. Eating and drinking and pleasure, feast on Jesus, in some, in some um, in some traditions, they will talk about celebrating communion. And, then, and there's even a phrase in some, in some traditions that say, feast, uh, let us keep the feast. Feed on Christ. Be satisfied. When you eat Jesus, if you try Jesus, there's nothing better. Eating and drinking and pleasure. So life and pleasure. And finally, eating and drinking and community. Now, all of us have had this experience. Uh, I'm not sure we think about it this way, but did you notice that when you eat with other people, when you eat with community, it makes both the eating better and the community better, right? Like if you eat by yourself, it's not as good as eating with other people. And if you're hanging out with other people and you're eating, it's so much better than when you're hanging out with other people and not eating, right? And and so the the other important part of what Jesus was trying to illustrate is to say, <clears throat> when you eat together, when you eat as a collective, there's something that's magic. Actually, it's not magic. There's something spiritual that happens by the fact that you share this meal together. So just go, when people like to go out to eat, people like to go out and uh, enjoy themselves, this is something that bonds people together. And it's important to notice that this isn't my meal that I'm inviting you to. This isn't Jake's meal that he's inviting us to. This is Jesus Christ's meal that he is inviting all of us to. So when you come up for communion later on, I want you to, um, certainly it's, it's appropriate to, to pray and to, be, to, to close your eyes, but I want you to lift up your eyes and look around to the other people that are coming forward. These are the other people that Jesus has invited to his party. And you will find there are some people that you know really well. They're like, oh, look, there's that person. There, Jesus invited that, that person to the party. And then also you will grow to learn that there are people that Jesus invited to his party that you would in no way invite to any party you would do. Now, I hope that's not true for any of us here. But the, the reality is Jesus brings people together that he picks. This is his party and this is his meal. And there will be people that Jesus that invites to his party that you, would, you didn't even know they were out there. There's no way that you would have crossed paths with them. But Jesus said, I'm having a party and you guys are coming. You will find people who look differently than you, 
who act differently than you, who vote differently than you, that Jesus has brought to his party. And around this table of life and enjoyment, Jesus builds his community. You know, there's some cultures that like if someone's your enemy and you eat a meal with them, you can no longer kill them. Because there's something, that's, uh, that some, that's something sacred that happens over the trust that happens in that meal. And Jesus brings us together over the communion table. So in a few moments, um, we are going to uh, sing a song. We're going to invite the worship team back up. And we're going to sing a song. And, and as we're singing, I want all of you to prepare yourselves for communion by thinking about Jesus. By thinking about how Jesus is your life. How you would die without him and without his sacrifice. I want you to think about how Jesus is, is, is the best. He's the best food. There's nothing like Jesus. There's nothing that could satisfy the way that Jesus can. And that Jesus is abundant and there's more than enough to feast on Jesus. And then I'd like for you to maybe take a moment and look around as we're singing and worshiping Jesus and to realize these are the people that Jesus has invited to his party this group of people, and people all around the world, many of them at this very moment, invited to his party. And then after this song, I'll come up and there'll be others and will lead us through our communion celebration. We thank you for listening today and pray that you are blessed by this message. We invite you to join with us on Sundays or connect with us at our website, vessel.church.